listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Father, we say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Thank you for the freedoms. This freedom to come and go, the freedom to worship, the freedom to participate. And so, Father, we turn this service over to you and we surrender it to you. Father, just this last week, we had many that have been stricken down with sickness. So we want to pray for them. We ask, Lord, you just graciously touch their lives. But Father, in that, then I want to say thank you for all of those people who stepped up to take care of things so that we could be here today and continue in this worship service. So, Father, as we open the word in just a few moments, we ask for your grace and your goodness to be expanded into our life. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Oh, we, we, it must be my voice. Or my hearing aids are affecting me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm standing there in front of the speaker. Oh, yes. We're going to announce that there's Bibles to be had. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, please. And they're going to continue to adjust me out, or I'll take my hearing aids out if that's all I'm hearing. Um, is it me or is it you guys? Okay, hearing aids are gone. Well, maybe. All I'm hearing is feedback through my hearing aids, so. Okay, get rid of those. Uh, Bibles, uh, kids' packs. Uh, we've had several stricken with, uh, in our Hope Kids ministry, and so they're not here today, so kids are in the service. So if your kid needs a kid pack, raise your hand, and there's some kid packs available. Uh, but I just want to say thank you for everybody that stepped up today. And then I was standing there in front of that speaker, and I thought I was back in the 70s, you know, with the high school dance, that old bass beat. I, th I think you could probably do CPR with that bass and that amplifier. <laughs> 60 beats a minute, and all you'd have to do is do the breathing for them because you're <laughs> And you'll have to forgive me because I'm really nervous today because this isn't my normal style of sermon. I love listening to Melvin because he's such an inspirational speaker. I'm more of an educational type speaker. I like to go deep in word and deeper and deeper, and then I hope that you decide to walk forward. Meldon inspires me and inspires many other people to just take the depth that they have and go forward. Um, you see, sometimes in my preaching, I miss out on that. But Meldon asked me to, to do this today, and... I'm really out of my comfort zone. 
you know, the old proverbial cat on a hot tin roof. That's where I feel like I'm at today. Came in this morning and told them to wipe out the last three slides, but I'm going to start at my conclusion. Okay? Here, here's the idea. I want you to think you're, you're one of the chosen people in the nation of Israel. You've been asked to carry the Ark of the Covenant four people at a time have that ark up on their shoulders. If you read different authors, some people say that ark weighed between 160 and 400 pounds. So you've got anywhere from 40, 50 pounds to 100, 110, 120 pounds on your shoulder. And you have to walk with other men. Hopefully they also made them about the same height. <laughs> Uh, but you come up to the Jordan River and the scripture says it's in full flood I want you to think about that and Joshua comes up to you chosen four people and he says here's what I want you to do Put the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulders and walk into the river. Folks, I don't know how to swim. And I definitely don't know how to swim with 100 pounds on my back. And I think it takes a lot of faith to step into that swollen, flooding river and trust that the other three guys are with you. They're not going to slip. They're not going to fall down. And trust that God and Joshua know what's going to happen. You know, when you read the scriptures in Joshua, you find out it says they stepped into the river and they stood on dry ground. They didn't stand on muddy ground. They stood on dry ground. That's how big the miracle was. The water receded so the nation could cross, but they were standing on dry ground. How desperate are we for Jesus? You see, this, this last Sunday, Pastor Earl from Ontario was here. Uh, Second Chronicles, we had Asa. Asa, early in his life, was, he was for God, and then all of a sudden it was like, how do I buy my way out of this? I've got a plan. I think it'll work. And God says, you know, basically your kingdom's ended here because you didn't trust me. Pastor Meldon in this series on Joseph, uh, the different things that Joseph could have done and he didn't do. These are the beautiful things that have been touching my life. But the scriptures I'm going to share with you today, I shared at our last elders meeting because they asked me to open with a devotional. But it's part devotional, it's part sermon, it's part testimony. And part of it is, could I stick that ark on my shoulder? and step into that water. 
Now, many of you know who I am. I'm, I'm Lester. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Yay. <laughs> Come on, folks, lighten up, because I'm going to get way too serious here if you, if you don't. You, got, you guys got to help me lighten up, too. Um, last November, I came home not feeling good from work, had a really upset stomach and a nasty, nasty headache. Thought I'd go home and just take the rest of the day off. A week and a half later, I hadn't gone back to work, and then I ended up in hospital. I was there for a month and a week. I was one of those that COVID grabbed, and it grabbed it nasty and hard. And I came home for two weeks, got to be with family over Christmas anyway. Twelve of those 14 days, everything was an uphill climb. Everything was good. It was felt like, and in two days, I felt like I jumped off a cliff. Go back to the hospital, got blood clots in my lung. Gave me a bunch of blood thinners and oxygen, and then I came home this time with oxygen, and you know, they saw me here at the church with a little tank, and during that time we lost several good friends, didn't we? COVID. We had a bunch of people in the church that were sick. Several other people besides me ended up in hospital. It was nasty. It was hard. And then we think of the bigger circle of people that we are acquainted with, and we lost some people out there too. Some things that you don't know. When I went to KGH, once they admitted me, we were standing in that little hallway just behind the emergency room and my wife was with me and basically the doctor says, okay, tell your wife goodbye. You know, my brain hurt. Because the way they were talking around me, tell your wife your last goodbye. Now my brain wasn't functioning then my wife would say probably hasn't since she's known me, but <laughs> my brain wasn't functioning right then, but that's what I heard. And how do you sum up 40 years of relationship in 30 to 60 seconds and your kids aren't there? And by faith, you have to step into the care of a bunch of strangers that you don't know On the one side, I will tell you, I was treated wonderfully at the hospital. On the other side, the, the, the worst thing that was there was the abject loneliness. Out of a 24-hour day, I probably had human interaction 45 minutes to an hour of people coming in, checking to make sure the machines were going, doing what they were doing. Very few of them. There was a, a janitor lady, and there was one of the ladies in intensive care that actually talked to me and responded back and forth and sassed me and other than that, everybody else, they were doing their job around Lester. And so if it wasn't for that cell phone to text, to harass Dave, 
on to talk to my wife. The loneliness of just being there. But the fear with which I entered into their care was overwhelming. And I don't know much about what happened the next three days. I was awake, parts of it, <laughs> but I don't know what happened. I have partial memories and then it was like, you're gonna get better. Now, I, doctors didn't say that, but there was something in me that says, you're going to get better. And the fight for life began. I'm going to jump through a bunch of different scriptures today because these are scriptures that during that time in hospital, during that time out of the hospital, they keep coming back and haunting me. And I keep asking myself, would I willingly put the Ark of the Covenant on my shoulder and step into that flood? Main scripture, if you want to look in your Bibles, Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Now I'm going to set the stage here a little bit. I liked how... Uh, Pastor Earl did that last week. He told you what was happening in Israel and Judah prior to and around. The stage in chapter 20 is the Sadducees are arguing with Jesus about the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection, but they were arguing with Jesus about it. Then we say they decided to argue about whose son is the Christ, but they couldn't answer Jesus' question. If David calls the Messiah, his son. <laughs> How do you understand that? And then Jesus gives a warning at the end of chapter 20 about watching out for the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because they do many things to make themselves look good. They got the right dress, and they've got the right this, and they have these long theological prayers or whatever they did but he says about them they devour widows houses and for a pretense make long prayers and they will receive the greater condemnation Jesus is telling his disciples about religious leaders who are going to receive a greater condemnation and then chapter 21 starts says, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you that this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Now when you read this scripture... You see this word poor, a poor widow, and poor widow, and then uh, this poor widow again, verse 2, and then verse 4, poverty. Now this lady did not 
get rid of all of her Zoe life. See, there's two Greek words in the, in the New Testament to talk about life. There's bios, biological life, and there's Zoe life. Notice we don't name our little kids bios. How many Zoes do you know? I know six or seven, I think, Zoe. It's real life. It's spiritual life. I'm not dead in my trespasses and sin. It's real life. Being fully alive, spiritually, physically, emotionally, however you want to define it, it's real life. I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. That's Zoe life. She gave away everything that she had to sustain biological life. She had nothing left to give. When I'm welcomed into heaven, this is one of those people that I want to sit with for a century or two. I mean, I got eternity. I'll visit with you sometime. I want to sit with this lady for a century or two. And I want to watch her face as she tells her Savior's story about her life. You see, this is one of those unfinished stories in Scripture. We don't know anything else about the lady except that she gave everything that she had left to sustain biological life. We don't know if she went home and family and friends gathered around her or one of the kids took her into their house. Or We don't know if God miraculously intervened and she got an inheritance. We don't know if it was one of these scribes up here that had already devoured her inheritance. We don't know anything else about it. But she gave everything that she had. Everybody else, they gave a percentage of profit. I just want to sit with that lady. Because after stepping into that hospital, I don't understand. I do, theologically, I do. Heart-wise, I know that there's times that We've given when we didn't think we had an opportunity to give or enough to give. Or, but I don't understand it. Now I need you to make a, an illogical jump with me here. Illogic to you, illogic to me. It's same difference. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62 going to read that scripture. I don't think it's on the screen. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow 
and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Many said, I will follow you. Now we've got a little video clip here. So some of the Hope kids, they, they did this for us this last week uh, on their youth night. And so watch it. Xavier crashed there, but that was his second race, if you'd noticed. He was in the first race and the second race. And any of you over the age of 60, you were sitting there singing, weren't you? Green Acres is the place for me. Farm living is the life. Yeah, you were singing it. You know it. You don't want to listen to my singing. I know that. But you were singing it. I saw it. Uh, I want to follow you, Jesus. These people in Luke 9, they wanted to follow Jesus, but just like our racers, they all had reasons, excuses, disclaimers, why they couldn't right here, right now. The first is, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responds, says, I don't have a place to lay my head. Robertson in his studies in the Greek New Testament says about this person that this is a person who has a measure, and they're a casual follower. Uh, I want you to think about those two things, casual and measure. Casual is, I know some friends from high school, and when I'm in the town I graduated from, uh, if I see them, we sit and talk on the street a little bit and catch up over the last 50 years. Casual. I really don't spend a lot of time thinking about them, but I saw them on the street, and so we, we stopped and chatted. This person says, I want to follow you, Jesus, as long as I can do it on my own terms. You see, but Robertson says this word is also a measured word. It means that the guy's got a little check box up here of, well, as long as I have food, shelter, spending money, a lot of good laughs with the rest of the disciples, uh, maybe, you know, four weeks vacation each year. Uh, what else should I add? You know, in his brain, he's got a list of things. I ran into a person like this about a year and a half after I came to Kelowna. And this is a person that kept in their head uh, a little balance sheet of people that owed Now, I was the pastor. 
I do stuff and it's called ministry. If I come and help you move, you don't have to come help me move. If you need some holes dug to put in a fence and I come help, you don't have to come help me dig some holes. You don't have to do anything ever again because it's called ministry. Well, closely associated with this guy for about a year and a half, two years, and finally that was going to be, you know, at least put on the side. And so I went to his office and I asked him, do I owe you anything? And he says, no, I don't think so. And I said, well, think about it and I'll be back in a couple hours. And if I owe you anything, tell me what it is and, you know, put a price tag on it if you have to. So I came back a while later and he said, do I owe you anything? He says, no, not at all. He said, why are you asking? I said, well, because you always have this little box in your brain of people that owe you favors. And I says, I don't do favors. I do ministry. So if I owe you anything, you tell me and put a price tag on it, and I'm going to write you a check here because I'm not going to get a call five years from now. Well, you owe me. You see, this is the type of person here I want to follow you, Jesus, if you meet all my little check marks, if you meet all of these little pieces. Now, the second one, he wasn't a volunteer. Jesus said to him, come, follow me. Now, if you read Matthew chapter 9 or chapter 8, Verses 9 through 22, you read about this, and or 19 through 22, you read about this. And in Matthew, Matthew says this person is a scribe. One of those people in chapter 21 we talked about. This is a scribe. This is a scribe that he knows how to serve God. He's been trained to serve God. You know, he's got the Bible college education from a youth all the way up, and He's supposed to be there to help take care of people and lead them to God. And He says, come follow me. And this guy says, well, I, I really need to bury my parents. So Jesus, if you really don't mind, I'll, I'll be along in a few weeks, a few months, a few years, a few decades, whenever they finally die. Then I'll, I'll come follow you. But what does Jesus say to him? He says, but you go preach the kingdom of God. But he says something in there before that. He says, let the dead bury their dead. Now, anybody here besides me ever spend some time wondering what that meant? Nobody? Oh, one, two, couple. Well, here's what I've discovered in life spiritually dead can bury physically dead any day of the week he's not asking this young man to abandon his family or his parents but he's saying anybody can bury the physically dead your job as a scribe as your calling as your trade is to preach the kingdom of God 
come follow me. No, I got my head down on that bat and I'm, I'm spinning around in circles. <laughs> no, come follow me. Oh, I got to wait till my parents die before I can do that. No, your job is to speak forth about the kingdom of God. You're not going to abandon. I mean, if we heard today that something happened with one of Meldon's parents, would we say, well, Meldon, you got a series that starts next Sunday? You be back here and be here ready to go next Sunday? I don't think there's anybody in the congregation that thinks that way. We would say, Meldon, we're so sorry. What can we do? You take care of your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles. You, you take care of everybody you can. And when you're ready, you know, show back up in Kelowna. He's not saying abandon your parents. He's not being, saying be so ministry-minded that you're no earthly good. He's saying, are you preaching and teaching the kingdom of God? Come, follow me, and I'll help you do that. Third guy comes and he says, let me first go and say goodbye to everybody. Let me say farewell to those in my home. On the one side, the Greek language here allows us to believe that on the one side, he is saying something very honorable. Let me go set my affairs in order. I'm not just going to disappear and all the things that I'm responsible for, somebody else then has to magically pick up and run with. But the language also allows us to think that, well, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I'm going to go home and have a really big party with my friends and say goodbye in a really, really nice way and do all those other parts and pieces. You know, and then, and then when we finally run out of that, then I'll come follow you. And Jesus looks at him and says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. I don't want to tell you how many times I look back. I suck at looking forward. Now, I'm not saying that I don't do some good things. I'm not saying that Lester doesn't have some intelligence and doesn't have some abilities and gifts and talents and uh, has, hasn't been able to do anything. I'm just saying that so many times, in so many ways, you're focused, you're going forward, and then it's like you stick your head down on that bat and you spin around and you spin, and all of a sudden you're way over here and you're going, but the goal is here. The goal is out here. What am, how did I get there? How did I get over here? Remember that video clip. I want to run to the goal, that green pipe down there at the end of the playground. <laughs> One guy said this about when you look backwards, your work goes crooked. 
You know what? I love my cutoff saw because it makes straight cuts. That little handheld circular saw, I don't use it often enough, and I don't have enough this control. And my straight lines go like this. It's not that I'm looking back. I'm paying diligent attention to that straight line, and I don't have the strength because I don't do it up. Where that cutoff saw weighs 150 pounds, and it goes, yeek, cuts a nice straight line. I love table saws if you're cutting plywood. You know, big long piece, cut a nice straight line. Hand me a circular saw and tell me to cut a straight line. It's like, well, how much caulking do you want to put into that joint? Because it's going to suck really bad. Your work goes crooked. Your ministry grows crooked. Your family goes crooked when you're looking back. Robertson says there's three imperative decisions that are happening here. There's an inconsiderate impulse. That's the guy that you invite him to a party, but he, he doesn't say yes or no because he's hoping to get a better invitation to a bigger party. You know, that inconsiderate, let your yes be yes and your no be no. There's the idea of conflicting duties. I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but you know what? When the floodwaters are coming at my house, I better be filling some sandbags. Conflicting duties. I'm supposed to be making my boss happy, but my house is going to be flooded. Or there's the idea of a divided mind. The divided mind says, you know, the boss expects me to get this done, but I am so bored in doing this day after day, week after week, year after year. I really want that guy's job over there, so I'm going to go over there and watch him do his job because it looks a lot more interesting than what I'm doing. I want to follow Jesus, but stupid baseball bats keep standing up saying, put your head here and run. I want to follow Jesus, but others. I want to follow Jesus, but Family, career, relationships, charisma, finances. Can I just give you a piece of personal from Lester's life, though? When I know the goal is there and I'm directly headed to that goal, sometimes it's, it's, it's pretty good. But you know what? I don't know what my faith is actually like until I find myself spun out over here or over there. And I, I know where the goal is. I want to reach the goal. But you find out what your faith is really like when you're out there on the fringe. But you also find out who your friends are. The people that love you, care for you, carry you, drag you back into line. You find out all of these things by faith when those things happen. 
Lastly, I want you to consider Moses. He was born a slave. He was raised miraculously in the house of Pharaoh. All of the education system that Egypt had was at his hand. And then he finds out that he's actually Jewish. And then one day he's out walking and he sees an Egyptian beating a Jewish guy. And he murders him. He kills him. Then he's found out, so he runs away. So he spends the next 40 years out there getting married, having kids, guarding sheep. And then he runs into a burning bush. Now, burning bush is no big thing, except that he finally realized the bush is not being consumed. And at that burning bush, he's given a call from God, a call to ministry, a call to leadership, a call to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And if you go to Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, and verse 1 says, Then Moses answered God, But behold, they will not believe me or believe in my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is in your, that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it down on the ground. So he threw it down on the ground, it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your, out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Now I don't know about you, but any, any good snake is a dead snake. Now, when I was a kid, garter snakes, you know, we had them all over where I grew up. So you got used to them. But you turn over a rock, and all of a sudden, garter snake comes whipping out at you. And it's still... <laughs> and I know snakes do a lot of good. They eat rats and mice and stuff like that that carry all kinds of disease and stuff like that. There's some good in them. I understand that. But I still have a belief that a good snake is a dead snake. You know, I see the pictures of these people down in South America and they're out there and there's a 30 or 40 foot long snake crawling. And <laughs> Why aren't you chopping the head off of that sucker as far as I'm concerned? <laughs> Give me the willies. Something like that could be around my house or my kids. I find myself with Moses. I don't know how you did that, God, but I ain't going to get bit by it. I'm running too. And then God says, pick it up by the tail. Now, I don't know about you. That tail has never killed anybody. The other end has. By faith, he had to trust that God knew what he was doing, that he could grab the tail, and it became the staff. But you listen to his arguments to God. The people won't believe me. I'm a nobody. 
I, I'm wanted for murder back in Egypt. You know, they're going to kill me if I go back there. I have no title. I have no kingdom. I have no charisma. Uh, I'm out here guarding sheep. How can I propose to speak for God? And, and, and God, if you did, 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 don't know, when I get excited, I, 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 I stutter, stutter. All of these excuses. And yet God says, what do you have in your hand? What is it that you have right there in your gifts and talents? Because you are who I created you to be. And this reminded me of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Beautiful, beautiful verses. And yet too often we stop right there with verse 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. Not by works. You're not more beautiful than enough people to get into heaven. You're, you're not more rich than enough people to get into heaven. You're not talented enough to get into heaven. You're not educated enough to get into heaven. By grace through faith. But then verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm supposed to pick up that Ark of the Covenant and step into a flooded river. God, are you stupid? Joshua, what are you guys thinking? I'm supposed to be walking toward the goal, and yet my head's down on a bat because the busyness of life has me spinning around and around in circles. And Lord, I want to follow you, but everything seems to be a distraction or an urgency. As I try and bring this to a close here, the worship team is going to be coming up, but I'm standing before you, and it's a very, very imperfect me. Now, I hate standing here saying that in front of you. It's absolute truth. I struggle daily, especially since I was struck with COVID. I struggle daily to not play the victim's card. 
to not sing that old, that Linda Ronstadt song, Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me. Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me. To not constantly whine, why me? I still don't know what I'm going to do for a job. I still don't know what I'm going to do to take care of my family. I, In some ways, I feel like I'm stuck here with an ark on my shoulder. I'm standing in dry ground because God preserved my life. I have received so many blessings. Still standing here, though. Because I don't know what the next step's going to look like. Now, I know that I can get busy and I can put my head down on that bat and I can run around in circles. I can look like the chicken with his head cut off. I've done it enough time. I'm, I'm really familiar with that. But I stand here before you because it's such an imperfect me. And I look at Luke chapter 21, and here's a lady that all she has to biologically live, she throws in that offering tray. And they go, Lord, I don't know if I can do that. Look at all the blessings I've got. Lord, I don't know if I can do that. I look at all those guys. Lord, I'll follow you. Oh, that's a wonderful, beautiful goal. I want to follow. But I find myself falling down on the ground running sideways instead of straight. But I come back and I look at this verse in Ephesians. There's nothing I can do to earn more of Jesus. He already did it all for me. Yes, he asked me to respond. He says, Lester, I've got some good works out there for you to do. But Lester, if everything were so nice and smooth, your faith would never grow, and pretty soon your gifts and talents would be the main course. You have to have faith enough to trust me. So Lester, I'm going to let you spin on a bat, I'm going to let you step into the floods. I'm going to let you think that you don't have any money. I'm going to let you have all of this other trials and tribulations because then you're going to trust me. Alex read a scripture earlier this morning, James chapter 1. He basically sums up, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Let's pray. Father, I feel wrung out because I don't know. I do know that you love each and every one of us right where we're at. And some of us, are, our circumstances stink. 
the choices we have to make look like it's make a bad choice or make a worse choice. And yet, Father, that's right where you want to meet each and every one of us. Your grace reached out to touch us for salvation, for redemption. So, Father, we say thank you for that. Now, Father, I ask that each one would be encouraged here that regardless of their circumstances, regardless of the crashes and the running sideways sometimes, that they would be encouraged that, to know that you are the faithful one, that you will allow them to step into the floods, that you'll allow them to step into life and know that they are protected by you. We say all these things in the wonderful name of Christ our Savior. Amen.